0: Welcome back to the Live A Great Story podcast for a very special episode that was recorded live in Indonesia. So these are going to be two different story times. One that was in the middle of the Indonesian sea, floating to the Komodo Islands. And the second one was at a hostel that I was staying at in Kuta Lombok. So these were story times that happen monthly basis in Austin, Texas, but while traveling, I've brought it on the road with me and really just want to encourage people to connect through stories, which is really at the core of Live A Great Story. And so these were all recorded in Indonesia from basically perfect strangers who I'd never met who decided that they wanted to share their stories in front of a group. Enjoy these stories, and if you're interested in learning more about story time and possibly hosting one in your city, please reach out because we're expanding in 2023 to host these all across the country. Enjoy the show. I you know this was kind of like a weird idea, and you're like, what's going on here? Like, stories, people, strangers on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Um, but this is an event that I do every month back home. So I run a lifestyle brand called Live A Great Story, and it's all about inspiring and connecting people through stories because I believe that when you know each of us has an amazing story and a very personal one, and when we share that with other people, then that inspires other people in their own story. So even though it can be totally different, your life from this country or this continent or this language or this religion or whatever, when you start sharing your story and you you know, share who you are, where you came from, what you're doing, what you're working on, then that gives people permission and inspiration to also do the same. And so that's how this company started. Uh, It started from um, travel and literally doing this about 10 years ago. And then I went back home to Austin, Texas, and I spray painted this phrase, live a great story on a wall. And people just started taking photos of it and sharing it on Instagram. It started spreading. I made some stickers. Those started spreading, people took them out into the world. I made some shirts and people did all sorts of amazing things with it. And uh, and then they sent me their story and then I shared those stories and it kind of created this cycle of storytelling. And so it's been around for like 10 years. There's like a dozen, two dozen, three dozen people that have tattoos. There's over 2 million Live A Great Story stickers out in the world. Dozens of celebrities have shared it. Um, I've hosted like so- tons of events, yeah. yeah. Um, So yeah, this event started because I was in COVID and I was like kind of lonely and I hadn't been hanging out with people. And I had this idea that I was like, Hey, I just want to invite people over to my yard and encourage them to tell stories. And I just like had this, I was doing breathwork meditation and I just had this idea and I was like, let's try it out and see what happens and like 50 people showed up and it was super cool it was a really special experience and everybody said let's do it again let's do it again and so I ended up doing it every month Uh, last couple weeks ago we did it in the hostel and it was super cool with about this many people and so now we're gonna do it here today's theme is going to be going or coming so we You know, we're all travelers here, so we've left, we've gone places, we are leaving home, we're leaving a hostel sometimes, maybe we're leaving a relationship, our family, uh, or maybe it's the opposite and we're coming back from that. So we're either leaving or we're coming home. All right, so I'm going to pass the mic now and we're going to Come on up.
1: 2016, I had, like, moved down to Canberra, which is Australia's capital in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I was studying a politics degree, and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? Um, And I realised that the whole time I was there, I'd been spending more time doing, like, musical theatre stuff at uni than I had been on my actual uni work. So I was like, I'm just going to take a semester off, see what happens, just, like spend some time doing what I'm enjoying doing. So the day I decided to take a semester off I got an audition for um, one of my first professional productions and I was like oh my god crazy but okay I'll do it and then uh, two weeks later I found out that I booked that role and it was my first ever paid role in a production and it happened right (laughs) off (laughs) Um, happened right after making that choice and I wouldn't have been able to do that show if I hadn't decided to take that semester off, because it would have clashed with uni. Um, and then, after while I was doing rehearsals for that show, I decided that I wanted to audition for some of Australia's like performing arts schools, and then saw some auditions for American schools coming up, and I was like, oh, I'll do those to like practice for the Australian auditions. And then I went to one of them for a school called Stella Adler, and I did the audition, and they said that they wanted me to go to LA for their like three-month summer program. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go to LA. So I was 19 and I didn't know a single person in LA and I got on a plane and moved there not knowing when I was gonna come back. Um, So I got to LA and I did the three month program and I lived in an artist commune that was like 80 people living on one property. I was in a room with like seven other girls and we all kind of just lived together. There was like a recording studio in the house sorry yeah but there were like 80 of us on the same property it was insane um and then at the end of the conservatory the summer one they offered me a scholarship to stay for the two-year program so i was like if I can do that too so i ended up staying for that and ended up living in la for like three and a half years and really like made a life for myself there and really loved it and then um I met a guy and I lived with him for a year and then the day before my final performance uh, he broke up with me and I wasn't expecting it so it was all kind of like fuck I've just finished my program and I don't have anywhere to live and I don't know what I'm doing so I uh, booked a flight to New York that day and three days later I moved to New York because I had always wanted to live there. so, like right before going to New York, I was looking online at different auditions so I could like try and get into auditions as soon as I got there. And I saw one for a show that I was like, oh, I really want to do that show, but I'd already missed the audition. So I decided just to fucking email them and say, hey, here's a video of me singing. I'd love to get a callback without auditioning. And they were like, sure. So, <laughs> I got my flight to New York, they said that I had to be at my callback. Hello. <laughs> um, I had to my call back at like 10am and my flight to New York was getting in at 10pm the night before. So I was like, sweet, that's plenty of time, I'll be fine, but then I got trapped in Austin. And so I was stuck in Austin on the way to New York and it was like midnight and they were like, sorry, there's no flights going to New York and I was like, fuck, I'm going to miss my audition. But then they ended up getting a flight there, and I got to my Airbnb at like fucking 6 a.m. or something. And I had a shower and I hadn't slept for like 40 hours or something insane. And I got to my hostel, uh, sorry, I got to the Airbnb, got changed, and went straight to my audition. And I was auditioning for The Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. And I ended up booking it, and I think the reason I got it is because I was so fucking tired that I just like. I looked absolutely insane and they were like, wow, this person's really good at acting crazy. (laughs) Um, So my first day in New York, I had that audition and then I thought I fully fucked it up and I was half asleep and I went to a cafe that had like a rooftop overlooking Manhattan and I got a call as I was sitting on that roof saying that I got the role and it was my first like proper professional show in America in New York and I was like, yeah. (laughs) And I was like sitting on this roof, like looking at Manhattan, and I'd never been to New York before. And I was just like crying, like, what the fuck is my life? Um, And then COVID happened and it ruined everything. Thank you so much. It was a tough time during COVID, I think for all of us.
2: And, okay, Uh, sorry. Yeah, um, I decided to move to the S um, over a year ago and I felt really happy. It was my, the best decision I ever um, decide. Yeah, I'm, um, oh my God, I'm sorry. Okay. okay, yeah. So I moved to US, I'm still waiting for my visa, and um, I felt really happy. I had a chance to travel a lot, to um, meet a bunch of people, and yeah, Um, I think um, it started in November, I felt really empty Um, and that was a really tough feeling because if you feel unhappy, I mean, if you feel empty inside, there's nothing that makes you happy. So if you see something or if you, I don't know, you feel empty and that was a hard feeling So, I decided to come here and now I feel happy again, I have a feeling inside and it was a good decision to come here and to meet all of you guys and a bunch of other other beautiful people and I'm so glad I did the trip because now I have my smile back and yeah, that's my story. (laughs) I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. The way that this works, there's two themes, and I'm going to open this up to people to share a story. Uh, So we're going to have someone, I know some people have volunteered to come up and share a story. Uh, And then we're going to break out into small groups. So everybody's going to grab their chairs, and you're going to go into groups of four. We'll get a head count here in a second. But we're gonna go into groups of four. So you're just gonna tell stories, you're gonna sp- move your chairs around, and you're just gonna tell stories to like four other people. So it's a lot more approachable than oh, telling it to 50 yeah. people. You don't have to hop up in here. Yeah, it's a little intimidating. If you want to, you can. You wanna tell a real life story from your life. Yes, because when you tell a story about your life and your experience and something that you've gone through, then that is something that most people can connect with right because they've probably what's going to happen is really cool is like once you start telling these stories you're going to telling a story or listening to a story you're going to like see a lot of commonality so travel stories of course but you're gonna be like oh well like your travel story is like this mine's a little different but it's still kind of the same right and so it's important to tell a real life story Um, but it can go in kind of any direction so oftentimes people will be there and you're like Sad story, intense story, funny story, and you're like in a group and somehow it all works. So, yeah, um, the more authentic you are, the more that gives other people permission to be authentic as well. So, yeah, like I've had some people share some really intense stories and uh, it's just really powerful and and incredible to hear people like open up. So, yeah, you know, obviously this is a safe space. We want to be respectful of people's stories. I want to open this up and see if anybody wants to tell a travel story. Come on, dude, let's do it.
3: For the last two months, I've been kind of traveling around with this friend of mine. She's called Amanda. And she always carried a little, like, um, fanny pack, you know, you know the ones? Yeah, yeah. And she has everything in there, like wallet, phone, everything, cool. Really handy. And then we went to, um, what was it? The monkey, the monkey temple in Bali. And you know, we're looking at the monkeys and they're super funny and everything and it's really cool and everything. And we noticed that some of the monkeys sometimes get a little bit handy with the people. And, ah, that's funny, haha. And at one point, I kind of like separate a tiny bit from my friend Amanda. And she's just, I just see, I just start looking at her, like her direction, you know. And then I see her just kind of like looking away like this, you know, with her purse like a little bit down this way. And then I see a monkey going for the purse, like a little bit like trying to grab it and stuff. And then she, like, she feels that there was a monkey, there was like something touching her purse. And she's just like, ah, Ale, Ale, stop. Like, that's me, I'm Ale. Ale, stop, Ale, stop. And then, like the monkey starts like going like a little bit more like that, you know. like, she sees me right there, like all the way over there. Looks at me like this, like oh my god. Looks at the monkey. She's like,
4: ah, fuck.
3: And then just like starts like instead of like pulling away from the monkey, starts like taking off the thing. And I'm like,
4: Amanda, no, <laughs> don't fucking
3: give it to her, man. And uh, everybody around it was just laughing their ass
5: off. <laughs> And that was, um, that was almost really bad. Very crazy story and I only share it because I feel like it's kind of therapy. I don't know if I'm completely over it, but being in front of you guys, maybe I will be over it. So this is the story how I ended up in Thai jail for five months when I was 22 years. Uh, Without drugs involved though. So I traveled, I traveled in Thai jail. Uh I traveled to ta- yeah, I traveled two thousand nineteen to Thailand. Just yeah. typical backpacker stuff. Uh just finished uh first years of uni, wanted to go like for th- two, three months exploring Southeast Asia. And then fucking COVID hit and I didn't go home. Uh I thought like it's a great idea to be in this tropical paradise and uh spend COVID lockdown there. Even though the embassy uh, was like tried to convince everyone every traveler go back home and there were like separate flights going home but i was young and stupid and i was like okay fuck fuck it the world is going down in europe i'd rather stay in Kupang yang with all these amazing hippies and smoke weed everyday but uh... it was not a good idea so after a while uh... even thailand started to do very strict uh, rules and there were no parties uh, allowed anymore not more than uh, i think three people at a place together, curfew at 10 p.m. And we, like, we listened to it the first like, couple of weeks, but after a while, all of like, the people got stranded there. We formed a very solid community. So we still made like parties. And on one night, we, me and like 30 other people, we were in a villa and started a party. And it was not allowed to throw a party we were not we didn't know at this time that there's a two year sentence for breaking this law and then yeah we got sold by the neighbors for like i don't know just too loud music probably they cooperated with the pol- uh, with the police as always because <coughs> everything is corrupt there and then fucking police came with machine guns uh... everything uh, on the ground blah blah and we went to police station first first we thought okay when like 12 different embassies get involved. We all go out the next day and then we realized, okay, the embassy can't get involved in uh, legal processes in Thailand and they want to set an example. So no other travelers will do the same or no other people will do the same. So we got into newspaper, like party got busted, blah, blah. And then in the first like days, all the girls were still, we were all still like pretty drunk. So we thought like, <laughs> We thought, like, we go out and all the girls were still singing Despacito, the South American girls. And it was now nice and everything, but then we realized, fuck, this shit is serious. It's a fucking two-year sentence. And then we got uh, from the the police station the real jail, and fucking Thai jail is fucking tough as fuck. So, um, first 30 days, we spent 24 hours uh, locked up in a cell, like, I don't know, like 30 square meters with probably 40 people. You sleep like sardines next to each other. You sleep like on the floor like this, and then the next person needs to lock in here. There's no AC, no fan, no towel, uh, no towel, no blanket, no no uh, pillow or anything. Uh, after a while, I, I realized, okay, I had like a little uh, Coca-Cola bottle, so I put it in my neck so I could sleep a little bit. And if you, if you go up in the night to go to toilet, your space is not there anymore. And you don't want to like uh, fuck up the ties because they will beat you up. The ties are... Um, very respectful if you respect their culture and if you are very calm and don't complain about your situation because in the end you broke the law in their country and what they don't like is what most of the European people do with big temperament, they complain and when you complain Thai people can be very cruel and pick you with 10, 20 people and just beat you up because they are National sport is Muay Thai, so yeah, um, I was lucky because I do Muay Thai myself in, in uh, Germany for around 9, 10 years. That was originally my plan to go to Thailand. Didn't end up well, like, <laughs> I started to party every day, drink alcohol, didn't do Muay Thai, but then in the jail I, I, I started to train with, like, the local guys and, like, ended up climbing up the hierarchy, I guess, so I didn't get picked up there. Like didn't get beat up, didn't have a problem with the ties. I tried to do my best, and um, I, I learned a lot about mental strength there because I tried to push it in the narrative that this is very important for my personal growth. It's a very nice hard camp kind of detox. I don't use any social media. I don't use my smartphone. I don't use sugar. I don't use pornography. I don't use drugs or alcohol, so I tried to push it in this narrative to just keep on my strength, inner strength. The worst thing was that we didn't know what will happen, Uh, like we thought uh, we will get out in any like weeks because of the pressure of the embassy but uh, we didn't go out, we didn't go out and uh, in the end it took me five months to go out and fly back to Germany. I lost around 25 kilos, uh, but I think this really helped me to grow as a person and to respect my family and friends way more, love them way more, realize my my, my privileges in life, and just, I feel like nothing at home could hit me anymore, and the good thing is, I'm staying here right now in Indonesia, so it didn't break my travel will. I guess, like, my, yeah. Uh,
4: My, half of my family is from India. And when uh, I went, sorry, before I went to India, my dad told me this story about my grandpa, who I knew very little about, because all of my memories of my grandpa was when he was at the aged care home. He was in bed for like 12 years before he passed away. Um, But he was in the Indian army, and he was pretty highly ranked. He was the leader of something called the Ninth Dogra, which was a company of a thousand men. And he was the the leader of all of those people. And at the time, so this would have been when my my dad was born in 1953. So this would have been 1958 or something. He was like five years old. The Indian army asked my grandpa to go to a place called Nagaland, which I think is... I think it's like northeast India, and at the time, it wasn't a state of India. It was independent, and there were six tribes in Nagaland. that were all at war with each other, and they were pretty intense tribes. They were headhunters. They would display the heads of their enemies in their villages, and some of them were cannibals and all that kind of stuff, and they sent my grandpa there as some kind of diplomat to try and learn about the war that was going on between these tribes and... um, because they wanted Nagaland to be part of India and yeah, they sent him there to see if he could help with making that happen. My dad was very young so he never really learned about what went down when they were there but basically what happened was he, the Indian army said that they were going to escort my grandpa and his family, so my dad and his sister and all that kind of stuff to Nagaland, and then they were going to settle in. And apparently my grandpa said, no, that's okay. I don't want an escort. I just want to travel there with my family. We don't need to make a big show out of it. We don't need like five army trucks following us to, to get there, all that kind of stuff. And they apparently were like, "Okay, that's sure. You can do that. They did that, and then they arrived, and they settled in and everything. And one thing that my grandpa liked to do a lot uh, he would go on really long walks for hours really far away from where he was living. And one of those days, he was, he, was a, he was a few hours away from home. And then all of a sudden, he was just surrounded by men with spears. And they said, to, I, like, my, my dad, there's a lot of gaps in this story. Because this is from what my dad told me. And he was also very young. But apparently, all these men ambushed him. And he was completely by himself. And they said, we know exactly who you are. We know exactly why you're here and the only reason you're alive today is because you came alone. And my dad was living in Nagaland at that time for maybe, I think it was a full year that he was living there. No idea what happened, no idea what kind of relationship my grandpa formed with these tribes, and by by the time that they left Nagaland, it still wasn't part of, it is part of India now, but then like, I don't think anything of impact happened. But the day that my f- dad's family were leaving, they went into the backyard of where they were staying, and in a circle there was five—sorry, s- six—spears because there were six tribes, um, all with their traditional colours, all of their um, tribal colours. And next to it was um, next to each spear was a shawl which is like a blanket kind of thing that the women of the tribe weave and that also had the tribal colors in it and everything. And keep in mind as well, all these tribes were still at war with each other when my grandpa decided to leave. But they created this circle of spears and shawls as a tribute to my grandpa because they knew that he was going to be leaving, which means that they communicated with each other and formed some kind of truce to do this for my grandpa. And my dad was telling me this story and I was, like, mind blown about it. Because I, I knew so little about my grandpa. And he just suddenly became so much more interesting from what little I knew about him. And my dad's telling me this story and I was like, holy shit, dude. Do, do we still have the spears and the shoals and everything? And he's like, no, my son. We've, we've like, a whole bunch. They've, they've all been lost in time. But there, there was one that was in my auntie's place, so my uh, dad's sister there was one that was on display, and I was like, holy shit, was it there when I was last there? Because the last time I was there was when I was like seven years old or something, and he's like, no, it's not there, your cousin destroyed it in a tantrum, and I was like, oh my god, but then I went there again when I was 23 years old, and I'm in my auntie's house, and I'm walking up the stairs, and there's like this nine-foot spear, with like these red feather uh, patterns on it and everything and in the middle it's been duct taped together <laughs> and I run up to my dad and I was like, dude, is this what I think it is? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's the, one of the spears that I was talking about. And I was like, holy shit, how was, because I was there for a month before I realized that this spear was in the corner of the staircase. And then yeah, it was just really cool to, to see this spear and look at this thing and realize that there was so much about my grandpa that I didn't know, and what the fuck happened the entire time he was in Nagaland, like the fact that they respected my grandpa enough to do something like that, and yeah, I just thought it was a really cool story,
0: and when I traveled to India, I saw that, and I was
4: like, oh, sweet, I got to see it, and that's the story, so.
0: This is, a, this is actually one of the coolest stories that's happened to me with Live A Great Story. So Live A Great Story, I spray painted it like 10 years ago on a wall, and ever since then, it's been spreading, so like, super famous celebrities have seen the graffiti street art. I go put it up, you know, at night um, in different places and like celebrities have taken photos of it. Um, there's like over 50 people that have tattoos. So it's crazy. Like I've met a bunch of people that have Live A Great Story tattoos. So lots of really cool stuff has happened with Live A Great Story. But probably one of the coolest stories is that I was in the Hajong loop. Has anybody, who's done the Hajong loop? Let's get it right, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I was just there before here. I was in Vietnam, and I was on day three, which is, like, one of the most epic days. I did it all by myself. I didn't do a group. I rode solo, which was super cool. Um, I have a drone, so I was able to, like, pull over and fly the drone by myself. And so, day three was just, like, amazing. It rained, so, like, the the fog cleared out because it's, like, burning season, so you can't see anything. And so... I was just, like, having this epic day, like, riding full speed through the mountains, just like, it was incredible, and so uh, I was running out of gas, and so I was running out of gas, and I was like, ah, should I get gas, and I was like, no, I don't need to get gas, and then I drove out of the city, and I was like, no, I should probably get gas, and so I turn around, and I get gas, and I'm in this, like, tiny village in the middle of nowhere, right, like, middle of Vietnam, uh, in the mountains, and I pull out, and all of a sudden, like, a big group of people, you know, like, one of the... The groups drives by and this girl rides up next to me and I have my live a great story jumper on and she's like I call it a hoodie but she calls it a jumper she's like yo riding beside me she's like nice jumper and I'm like what's a like I had a poncho too like a blue poncho I'm like this thing she's like no no like live a great story and I'm like oh yeah thank you thank you and it was like really cool moment you know we're like in the middle of Um, Ha Zhang, like so far away from Austin, Texas, so far away from home, and she likes Live a Great Story, which is really cool, right? And so we're just riding next to each other for like a little bit, and I joined their group, and then someone crashed, and I like went around their group and like left them. And so um, towards the end of day three, you come up to this amazing like coffee shop that's like surrounded by mountains and it's this incredible view and you know i just come over like the day like full speed by myself i was going through a lot of stuff in my head like trying to figure out my life so i just had this like day in the mountains like it was a really incredible already like peak experience i think day three hajong was like probably one of the top five um best travel memories in my life and so i pull up to this and i'm just like like looking at this view and I'm like, damn, this place is gorgeous, like it's amazing and the mountains and the sunset and everything. And then I see the girl and she's there and I'm like, yo, what up? And she had like fallen, so her like whole side was muddy and she was like covered in mud and and she's just like super funny. Um, And I'm like, hey, what's up, live a great story. And she's like, yeah, live a great story. And she's like, I saw live a great story in 2019 in Budapest at a ruin bar and she goes through her phone and like s- scrolling all the way back to 2019 and she pulls out a photo of a Live A Great Story sticker from Budapest three years ago in a ruined bar. And she's like, I think about this sticker all the time. I, it's like, it's it, always, that phrase is always in my mind. And uh, and she's like, and then I saw your jumper and I give her a sticker and she's freaking out. And I was just like, I can't believe that we're here, like in one of the most beautiful places in one of the most amazing days that I've had so far away from home, so far away, like especially me going through like a breakup and like a mental, you know, emotional day to like have that connection with her in the mountains. It was just like so wild and forever will be like one of my most peak experiences uh, for Live A Great Story. Thank you.